big news, because we had so much fun at our last live show, we're doing it again. That's right. We're going live again, but this time we're going to the Ripped Bodice in Brooklyn, which is an absolute dream come true of a location. This show is going to be part of a larger romance festival being put on by Fish Market Theater Company. And I'll give you details about all of the awesome events that they'll have going on that weekend soon. But for now, head on over to the ticket link in the show notes and get your tickets for our performance, which will be on March 9th at 7.15 p.m. Eastern Time. We don't have streaming set up quite yet, but we're working on it because we know a lot of you aren't in New York. But if you are or if you can get here, we hope that you'll get your tickets and come join us because it's going to be a blast. Hey, everyone. Before we begin today, we want to give a huge shout out to our patrons, Sarah, Mackenzie, and Desiree, who upgraded their pledges. If you want access to special content like our exclusive patron Discord community, head on over to patreon.com slash pod and prejudice. And in case you missed it, we are doing our first ever live show at Caveat NYC on November 18th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Early bird tickets are $18 and patrons get a 15% discount. And for those of you not in New York, don't worry, the show is going to be live streamed for $10 and you can watch the video on demand for a whole week following the event. Tickets are all available at the link in the show notes and we cannot wait to see you all there. And now enjoy this week's episode covering the first half of the 2020 Emma starring Anya Taylor-Joy with our guest Charlotte, a.k.a. Chateau Barefoot. This is Becca. This is Molly. We are here to talk about Jane Austen. We are here specifically to talk about Emma! 2020. Emma with a period. Yes. Is that Does that it have is, a period? The full title is Emma. Oh, Okay, so so that makes sense for a lot of reasons we'll get into. But listeners, if you're new to this podcast, I, Becca, have read many Jane Austen novels and watched many Jane Austen movies through my life. And I, Molly, am doing that for the first time through this podcast. If you want to hear Molly read through Pride and Prejudice or Sense and Sensibility for the first time, you can listen to seasons one and two of this podcast respectively. But that is not what we're doing here today. No, today we are talking about Emma period 2020 and we are joined today by charlotte from the instagram account chateau barefoot and probably many other things hello charlotte hello welcome to our podcast or uh, i feel like i shouldn't call you charlotte i should call you like kira (laughs) (laughs) 2.0 well a lot of people um don't actually know what my name is a lot of people think that my name is chateau which is not a typical human name but you'd be surprised i mean it could be but here we are instead uh you're completely uh, human name instead. Uh, so why don't you tell our listeners uh, what you do and what connects you to the Jane Austen community in particular? So that's a great question. Um, my Jane Austen journey is kind of a fever dream. I started on TikTok doing just totally unrelated content, you know, as everybody does, just like posting silly TikToks. Um, And then I have always had a passion for period dramas. It's like Keira Knightley is my um, fairy godmother. So I ended up finding, thrifting a shirt that looked very much Regency inspired. Um, I posted a TikTok about it. And then I immediately started getting comments about how I was starting to resemble Keira Knightley with the shirt. Um, And so I leaned into it because it was the most engagement I'd ever gotten. And I started making little parody skits about period dramas. Um, I did this 
funny little bit for a while that I called Vine and Prejudice, where <laughs> I um, quoted like really popular vines because I'm I'm of the age where like Vine is very nostalgic for me, and you know I love to quote vines all the time, and so I would quote them with my best like Kira Knightley impression, as if she was like doing a monologue or rejecting Mr. Darcy in the rain or something, but she's saying a vine instead, um, and that's what like first got me a lot of traction on TikTok was my Vine and Prejudice bit. And then I lent, started doing more like tropes and like making fun of period drama tropes and doing little like dramatic skits of like how women cry in period dramas. And that's like what kind of made me a big period drama TikToker. And then I started posting on reels and now I do all sorts of stuff. I haven't done TikTok as much lately because I'm kind of all over the place. I just moved here. So I haven't had like a, a good big white wall to film like I did in my my Boston apartment. Um, but now I do a lot of like modeling stuff, but it's all very like adjacent to like like Regency historical inspired like. I just modeled for some vintage clothing store and she specializes in like Edwardian pieces. So oh it's God. all very related to like my start as like a period drama TikToker. It's turned into something really cool. Very cool. Very, <laughs> very cool. Uh, can you give us like a little a taste of your little Kira impression? Oh, gosh. I feel <laughs> like I need to say a vine or something. Oh, my first one that was that was really good. Um but what it started the whole Vine and Prejudice thing. Have you ever seen the video of the guy arguing? Oh gosh, I'm gonna have to like remember what exactly he says. He's arguing about Mar about Mary Poppins, or um, um, he's arguing about uh, Glinda the Good Witch. Yes, They're yes, playing yes, yes, heads yes. up, and he gets Glinda the Good Witch, and he's trying to like express why he's upset the person didn't guess Glinda from all the clues he was giving. And he, and what, gosh, what does he say? Um, he says, she wore a crown and she came down in a bubble, Doug. And so part of my impression was, and this is right off the cuff, she wore a tiara and she came down in a bubble, Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> That's and, um, so good. I, I teared up and I like was, you know, over dramatic with it. And, um, and it blew up on TikTok. So That's that was my start. Amazing, incredible <laughs> stuff. I for the listeners at home, this is an audio medium, but there she instinctively like did the chin thing that Kira does. <laughs> it in, jutted out a little bit. Exactly. <laughs> the, the girl leads with the jaw when she's <laughs> acting, so it's like a very like specific movement that happens as she's talking. <laughs> it's also like I think related to her voice. But with that in mind, I guess we we should walk right into the questions we ask all our guests about their relationship to Jane Austen. Starting with, what is your relationship to Jane Austen? I like to think that Jane Austen is, she's like, she's my Jiminy Cricket, mm. if that makes sense, as I am Pinocchio. So she is the little um, cricket that follows me around and is in the back of my head and like kind of leads me through my life. And um, so she is how I view romance and how I view womanhood and how I view nature and how I view long walks. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I would, I, would, I would describe her as a cricket on my shoulder. 
Beautiful. That, that was so poetic. <laughs> yeah, that is a really beautiful. Surprised answer. I could remember the name Jiminy Cricket. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. So if you had to pick, our next question is, what is your favorite Austin content, whether that be one of her books or an adaptation, um, a spinoff, anything? It's so boring of an answer, but it's the 2005 Pride and Prejudice for so many reasons, though. Like, it's I, I will defend this. A huge part of it for me is the soundtrack. It has like I have such a guttural reaction to that soundtrack because I love music. And that's actually how I inspire like most of my video content is by listening to soundtracks and classical music and like closing my eyes and visualizing things. Um, that's how I come up with like all of my ideas. And so I just something with such a beautiful soundtrack it has a lot of variation in it. Like it has so many moods. So maybe just specifically the soundtrack from the Pride of Prejudice 2005, even though she had nothing to do with that. I have to say that uh, even people so we are big fans of the 2005 Pride and Prejudice. Mm-hmm. But even people who dislike the movie all say but the soundtrack is really good. It's so good, dude. <laughs> it's such a good soundtrack. I want to take a bath in it. Yeah. yeah. So um, the next question I have is, which Austin character do you relate to the most? Hmm. I actually think I relate a lot to Jane Bennett. Mm. Um, it's the whole, you know, I'd like to think I was more of like a heroine, but I definitely am like a very shy, very quiet, won't reveal if I, I historically, I'm always devastated when my crush doesn't like me back. And then they're like, I had no idea you even like knew who I was. Like I'm very conservative about my like romantic feelings about people. Um, I'm obviously the most beautiful sister because I don't have any sisters. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would say Jane personality-wise. That is the most relatable thing Jane Bennett has ever done, which is fall deeply for someone, get really butthurt when they reject you, and then find out that they never knew you liked them to begin with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) And then also, I have the immune system of like a kitten, so I will fall sick if a raindrop hits me. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, so our last question for you before we dive into Emma period 2020 is what is your hottest Austin take? Okay, I actually kind of, I kind of fuck with Fanny Price. Ooh, okay, this is a take for, uh, Molly hasn't read Mansfield Park yet. Oh, no. But you you are absolutely okay to have that take on this podcast because she doesn't know anything. Mansfield Park and I'm, I'm so interested to see what your take ends up being on it. But, like, I really enjoyed it. Um, yeah, I really like it. I think it's, like, relatively, I don't know if realistic is the right word, but everybody is so flawed, so flawed that it's, like, enjoyable. But also, like, you kind of root for her still, even though she sucks. It's, like, I I thoroughly enjoy, and I don't want to give any spoilers, so that's the most I'm going to say on it. I am very excited for us to cover Mansfield Park for a lot of reasons that I will not disclose here, but I I agree that it is an underrated piece of Austin's work. It's polarizing. A lot of people hate it, and I, I don't. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot to unpack in Mansfield Park. So I'm 
no spoilers, Molly, but we'll we'll get there and then we we will have you back on maybe to uh, discuss discuss Mansfield. I can't wait. (laughs) Okay. So with that in mind, I think it's time to dive into Emma period 2020 starring Anya Taylor-Joy and Johnny Flynn of Lovesick fame. Have you seen the show Lovesick? I haven't, but I like heard his music, and so that's what I knew him as. <laughs> I know he's like, I knew him from this like little silly rom com TV show, and I forced Molly to watch an episode of it immediately after we watched Emma Twenty Twenty, and I was like, you have to understand how surprised I was to see him as Knightley. Yeah, yeah he definitely appears uncomfortable in his knightliness a lot of the movie, but I loved him yes so um fun facts about this movie um it came out in 2020 and apparently phoebe waller bridge's sister did the soundtrack mm-hmm. to this movie mm-hmm. the soundtrack of this movie is so good chef's mm-hmm. beautiful beautiful um it received mostly positive reviews um it was a little polarizing with critics because it is different in, quote, vibes from other Jane Austen adaptations, but many praise specifically Joy's performance as Emma and the boldness of the direction that the movie was taken in. So I guess to start off, we'll each go around and say what we thought of the movie. Okay. This is my favorite Austen content I've consumed so far. <gasps> oh, my God, really? It is so good. That, I mean, okay, we'll, we'll get into it, but that is such... An interesting take, given the fact that we watched this movie together for the first time, mm-hmm. and you were like, "It's good." But after watching it, a second I watched t- it a second time. Yeah, today, yesterday, and today, I, this morning. Well, what? So here's the thing: <laughs> <laughs> watching this movie, like you were watching it with me, I was processing, and some things happened that I was like, "What?" But then other things happened that I was like, "Wait a minute! This is so much better than what." the book even like well first of all it was very book accurate Mm -hmm. um which we'll talk about like it was book accurate except in the ways that it could improve upon the book Mm -hmm. which were namely emma and harriet's friendship which we'll talk about like they made that so much more genuine and pure and then just like it's a good standalone movie like i feel like other austin films you sometimes have to know like Austin and know what's going on. Mel can't watch them. My girlfriend, I mean, she she can watch them, but she gets confused. And I think she's going to love this one because I think you watch it and it's beautiful to look at. Mm-hmm. The music is so fun. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone's so hot. <laughs> Everyone is so hot you in this movie. You get full ass in the first 10 minutes. Which yeah. is rare for Austin. Which was a wonderful surprise for Mr. <laughs> I I like the first 10 minutes. So is that your whole take? You liked the first 10 minutes? Oh, or? no. I love the whole thing. Yeah. I totally agree. It's like I did not think anything could really top the 2005 movie interpretation, like visually and like aesthetically. Um, but it's so different visually and aesthetically that it like carves its own special massive place in my heart. I totally agree. And it like I, I think it's so perfectly well done the way that like the whole movie envelops her character and I I adore it. And I think the casting was impeccable. The casting was so good. You know what was cool about the the casting of the movie is that some of the people in the movie I would not have pegged for the Mm -hmm. roles they were in, particularly Johnny Flynn, but my Mm -hmm. God, it all came together so well. It takes like a very specific director's eye to to pick up on someone and say, no, that's 
that's going to bring something new to the character. Mm -hmm. Um, All this to say, I quite liked this movie. I thought it was excellent. Um, I don't know if I would say it was my favorite adaptation of Emma, Mm -hmm. but I might say it is my favorite movie version like it is it is I think a better movie than any other adaptation of Emma yeah because I think it was more than most Austin content I see really its own property and I think like it has that in common with the 2005 Pride and Prejudice in some ways it really is its own take and I think to make a Jane Austen film that's going to happen in two hours you actually need to do something sort of fresh with it and I think it is a very book accurate adaptation sort of if you look at the plot points, mm-hmm. but it is in its vibes, in its aesthetics, doing something on its own. And I think that that is to its credit. So are we ready to just talk about it? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. So we start out with Emma waking up at dawn to prepare for the wedding between mm. uh, her governess miss taylor and mr weston and (laughs) uh she is very particular about her flowers so we like see this kind of um picky uppity girl coming out in this first scene but then we immediately get this beautiful contrast of her scene with miss mrs weston or miss taylor at this point um saying how much she's excited for her to be in love and get married. Before we go into that, I just wanted to point out as well that opening shot where the title card comes up where you have Emma carrying the bouquet of flowers to Miss Taylor slash Mrs. Weston and she's in the white dress and she Mm. walks down the hallway. It's such an obvious like bridal procession, but it's such a beautiful opening shot Mm -hmm. for the film. And it has the E-M on one side of her and the M-A period on the other (laughs) side of her, which we should note that this movie is called Emma... Period. Emma. Mm-hmm. Uh, have you mentioned that yet? I didn't hear you say I, that. I, I, was, <laughs> I need to talk about it a lot because I was like, I have never spelled it that way. Like, why? <laughs> what, what's up with the period? What do we think? Why? I think that it's an acknowledgement that they built upon it a little bit mm-hmm. in its own way. I think that it's them not claiming to be like the perfect interpretation, even though it like was a really good interpretation of the book. I think that that's the acknowledgement that they took a a little bit of liberty and they built upon it. Yeah, like this is this isn't Emma. It's Emma. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. So then we get like an external shot of the house and we just hear poor Miss Taylor (laughs) and Bill Nye (laughs) enters with a bang Bill Nye of not Bill Nye the science guy fame, but of Love Actually, Love Actually. fame of About uh, Time, about <laughs> time um, of, of uh, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. Yeah. He's what? The, Rufus yep. Scrimmager. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Charlotte I forgot. Does. I forgot. <laughs> Doesn't he, he, he looks like he belongs in that world. Yeah, he yeah. does. It's perfect casting as... He's the unsung hero. Oh, my God. He's so good. He's so So good. I want to point out that Molly screeched when he walked onto the (laughs) screen. I did. I think part of what makes this movie one of my favorite Austin adaptations that we've seen is the number of times that I just screamed. Mm -hmm. It was like, oh, something amazing is happening. Delightful. So then we get... Uh, Emma and Mr. Woodhouse in their carriage and we get this look of like blue florals mm-hmm. and this movie is so bright and colorful which I will just continue to talk about how much I love that throughout. 
we get to the church and Emma walks down the aisle like greeting everyone by name so we know who everyone is do you want to talk about the graves in the church floor, Becca? Oh, my God. So, yeah. Hello. I used to work in a church in uh, Philadelphia, and it was an old-timey church. I used mm-hmm. to give tours there. I'm super Jewish, so I was just there doing historical stuff. And fun fact about these, like, Anglican churches, back in the day, they used to um, bury people in the floor of the church if they were big parishioners. And I noticed that in the scene where we went to Mr. Elton's parish, you see there are graves in the like center aisle of the church. And I was like, is this filmed in a real church or did they just come up with that like historically accurate little detail? I don't know. It was it was like a very specific like 19th century England detail that I thought was like incredibly <gasps> on point. <laughs> That is fast. So they're walking over the graves. That's the part that you walk on is where the graves are. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's spooky. It's very spooky. <laughs> Lots of haunting in old English churches. Mm-hmm. Um. So then we get everyone sitting in the pews, like, quiet, waiting for the wedding to start. And Miss Bates <laughs> goes like, Emma, Miss Woodhouse, like, across the aisle and starts talking about how joyful the day is. And Emma is, like, cringing so hard. And she says to her dad that she hopes Frank is going to show up for the wedding. And he's like, what makes you think that? And so we're already getting the introduction of Frank Churchill, which I appreciate in this movie that not to compare it to the 1996 because they're very different. But I feel like we didn't get a lot of Frank before Frank. I mean, also not to bring this up again, but it haunts me. Uh, the Ewan McGregor wig in the 1996 <laughs> is just not present here, which makes this already such a better movie. Oh, <laughs> and I know we haven't met Frank Churchill yet, but I figured out what I know him from. It's not from Harry Potter, which he is in. But that actor is in um, The Last Letter to Your Lover or From Your Lover. Have you guys seen Is it? that the movie you told me to see? Um, with with Shailene, Shailene, Shailene Woodley? Woodley. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That yeah. checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, great movie. Anyway, so I was like, why does he look so familiar? Yeah. Mm. Um, Mr. Elton starts doing the wedding and he just like loves his job. I think this is the moment. Is this the moment where he says, um, and man's great inner sense. And Mr. Woodhouse turns to Emma and he's like, inner sense. Innocence. Yes. <laughs> um, and I, there's a good book ending because at the end, well, we'll get there, but he like, is much less over the top at the end when he's doing Emma and Knightley's wedding. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so sorry. <laughs> so then we get our introduction to Mr. Knightley where we get his bare ass. And this is the <laughs> moment you know it's going to be like a different kind of Jane Austen adaptation because- Hell yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is just like- We love a bare ass. <laughs> yeah, specifically Johnny Flynn's fair, bare ass because like he's, first of all, as as a Knightley, Knightley is always like so uptight, prim, proper as a character. And this Knightley is no exception, but because they cast Johnny Flynn, who is younger and edgier than most Mr. Knightleys, there is something more uh, raw and sexual about this Knightley. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there is. Yeah. <laughs> I love him so much. Yeah. Um just exasperated all the time. That's his that's his whole general persona. Just yeah. constantly flustered and exasperated. The comp we always make on this podcast is that Emma and Knightley are a bit Luke and Lorelai from Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Um, yep. and like sexy grumpy is such a type mm-hmm. and nightly like Nick Miller yeah oh he's Nick Miller yeah he's like a put together Nick Miller it's the yeah. grumpiness it's, yeah it's the grump- and there's like something a little bit ugly about their face but just like in like such a raw beautiful way yeah, yeah exactly there's something 
rugged. Johnny, yeah, yeah, rugged. Johnny Knightley <laughs> is not the most like classically handsome man. He is handsome. He's got gorgeous blue eyes, but mm-hmm. there's something a little bit uh, engaging about s- certain flaws in his but face. He's got like a couple scars. Yeah. It's the same thing with Nick Miller that it's like they look like they were in a fist fight a while ago. Yeah. Know? But they won the yeah. fist fight. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like Jeremy Northam in the 1996 is a very polished, very sexy mm-hmm. nightly in his own right. Very, um, very engaging and crisp. And Johnny Flynn's nightly is a little bit dirtier, I mm-hmm. guess, in that he like. <laughs> Sorry. Am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. So he's just got this like vibe of like his natural like rock star stuff going on with Johnny Flynn makes him like a little bit more of a rough around the edges nightly, which works really well in this adaptation, I think. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. So he gets dressed. He walks through his estate, which is gorgeous. And his servant, whose name is Mrs. Reynolds, and a nice nod to Pride and Prejudice, um, chides him for not taking a carriage when he has a carriage. And he's, like, kind of laughing at her and, like, joking with her. And you get a sense of the lightness that I felt was missing from this movie a lot. Like, on my first watch, I was like, why is he so grumpy all the time? Like, Knightley has to have a little bit of lightness. But you get to see that a little bit in this scene. And um, there are moments where it comes out later as well. Oh, yeah. So I'm a big fan upon a second watch of his nightly. Emma sees him coming because he's coming to see her, obviously. And I love this part. She like, she's like, and she goes and practices the piano. Like, have we, I've literally, everyone's done that. Oh my Let God. Let me position myself to look like I didn't even notice you were on your way. And <laughs> yeah. I'm doing this thing that makes me look beautiful and intellectual and romantic. Yeah. yeah. It's such a small moment that I almost missed it. Like I missed it the first time and I noticed it the second time. I was like, wait, She's already trying to, like, make herself look good for him. She keeps peeking. Is he looking at me? Yeah, this adaptation certainly um, pulls in the immediate uh, interest they have in each other sort of earlier on. Not in a, like, a it's obvious way, but in a these two are in love with each other and are just idiots that haven't figured it out yet kind of way. It's, It's very, her love for him is very almost, like, childlike, like, admiration and I think he has a very similar affection for her Mm. whereas like they don't know that they're like in love with each other but like they just feel compelled to like oh my gosh he's coming oh yeah kind of thing but they're but they're not so aware of it that they know why they're doing it it's like very it's very real it's very real yeah Nightly goes to sit with Mr. Woodhouse and they do this like upy downy thing where they go to sit down <laughs> and then Mr. Woodhouse says something and they stand up and it happens like three times and it's just this movie's very choreographed, which I always appreciate in a movie. And this is where Knightley discovers that Frank Churchill did not in fact come to the wedding and he argues with Emma that Frank would have come if he wanted to. And we get our first glimpse at Bartholomew and Charles, the servants, who are kings. Hilarious. Kings. They just, they don't have a single line, but they just say everything with their faces. And Bartholomew and Charles, their whole job through this movie is to just be accessories to Mr. Woodhouse's hypochondria and just follow him around with uh, different screens. Uh, screens. To, to protect him, which is perfect. Um, I would also say, this might be a good time to bring this up. This movie um, does something that I didn't put together before, which is uh, ties Emma's taking care of Mr. Woodhouse to her sympathy for Frank Churchill taking yes. care of his aunt. Mm-hmm. I didn't put that together in exactly the same way before, but she feels trapped 
in her life a little bit by taking care of her father. And that's very clear through the story. But she projects that onto Frank's taking care of his aunt as well. Yeah, there's a line that she says to Knightley when he's complaining about, I think it's in the scene, mm-hmm. where he's saying, like, he would have come if he wanted to. And he's, she's like, you're so independent, you don't know what it's like to be mm-hmm. uh, bound by caring for someone or, like, dealing with someone else's tempers. And, like, kind of, like, nods to her father mm-hmm. who's sleeping in the corner. Absolutely. Yeah. Hello, it's Molly from the future hopping in to tell you about a new season of one of my absolute favorite podcasts. Hot and Bothered, hosted by returning Pod and Prejudice guest Vanessa Zoltan, is a podcast that treats romance as sacred. You've probably all already heard of this podcast because in their fourth season, they covered Pride and Prejudice. And now Hot and Bothered is back with a season that is all about romantic films. The first 10 episodes of this new season follow Vanessa as she learns how to critically watch movies by looking closely at the classic 2003 rom-com How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. After 10 episodes, Vanessa will be joined by her co-host Hannah McGregor, a media studies scholar, author, and podcaster, and together they'll look at romantic films from Casablanca to Love and Basketball to When Harry Met Sally. The show is already so fun after just listening to one episode, and I cannot wait to listen to the rest of the season. So subscribe to Hot and Bothered wherever you get your podcasts to jump into this new season that's all about romantic films or to enjoy their previous seasons about Pride and Prejudice, Jane Eyre, and a personal favorite, Twilight. Again, that's Hot and Bothered, and it can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Also, this August, Vanessa is leading a pilgrimage to Bath for a five-day trip dedicated to Northanger Abbey. Now, I don't know anything about Northanger Abbey, but even I want to go on this trip. Together, you and 20 other Austinites are delving into the story of Catherine Moreland while immersed in a gorgeous city that features heavily in Austin's life and writing, as you know. So if you enjoy contemplative hikes, immersion in a new city, time away from your regular life, and the chance to talk about Austin with fans from all over the world, which I know all of you do, then this trip is for you. So check out Common Ground Pilgrimages at readingandwalkingwith.com. To claim your spot on the Northanger Abbey trip, head to readingandwalkingwith.com slash northanger-abbey-2024. And now, back to this episode. So then we get Autumn. Beautiful. I love the templates of uh, the different seasons. It also helps break up the movie so clearly and beautifully. Mm-hmm. It paces it really well. Yeah, that's another great point because other adaptations of Jane Austen sometimes struggle with pacing, and this yeah. is a very well-paced movie. I was never bored. It never dropped the ball. It never gave me a scene that didn't give me some portion of the movie or the story. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I think yeah. <laughs> the season part helps a lot, and oh, they yeah. really transition with the seasons too. They don't kind of have like an in between, and each season, like the aesthetics start to match the mood of the season at the same time. It's so beautiful. So. We start with Emma being dressed by her maids, and as soon as the maid leaves, we get our second butt <laughs> of the movie. She just lifts it up, lifts up her skirts, and holds her butt to the fire to warm herself. <laughs> this was great also because uh, you missed it the first watch around, and I was like, her butt came out, and you went, what? <laughs> yeah, because we were doing our watch party on Discord, so I was like looking mm-hmm. at what people were saying in the chat, and I just missed her ass. Um, also... Is she not wearing underwear? Is that not something that people do? You know, that's a good question. And I'm I'm not the one to ask for that. I love the historical clothing um, world on TikTok, but I don't think that I am necessarily like a part of it in mm-hmm. that I know 
facts and logic and, well, and reason. This yeah. is a really good opportunity to say our listeners, some of them are experts in historical oh, they'll let you wear. Know. Yeah. Sure You'll yeah. get comments, I'm sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We get the... We Actually. Get the, <laughs> we have the nicest uh, listeners because every time we get something wrong, and it's usually about costuming, they'll be like, we are obsessed with your podcast, mm-hmm. but uh, let me just point out the fact that uh, this is not how this was worn or you got this wrong about the time period dress. Um, so, listeners... If you do know what kind of underwear they wore in the Regency era, let us know. Or is Anya just rocking it bare uh, in a way that we we get because it's 2020 and not because it's the 19th century? I also right. want to say that I think that her whipping her ass out like that does something so beautiful for her character because so much of Emma is her... I mean, a lot of times it comes across as immaturity, but it's her very, like, childlike personality. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's, like, I mean, even within the first, like, five minutes, you immediately get a glimpse of her um, being, like, really sad that her governess is leaving her. And she's, like, a very, she's just, like, a little girl who's, like, growing up really fast and is not really, you know, she's not trying too hard to be a lady but like she's a kid I totally agree and I will say I was extremely critical when we covered Emma 1996 of Gwyneth Paltrow's Trail of Mm -hmm. Emma I don't know if you've ever seen that movie Mm -hmm. so one of the things I said during that podcast is that Gwyneth's Emma is a little comes off a little haughty and Mm. mean Anya's Emma is so much meaner than Gwyneth's Emma she's such a mean girl (laughs) but I love it First of all, because she takes it really quite far. Mm-hmm. Second of all, because of exactly what you just said, which is that she comes off as such a fucking child. Yeah. She comes off as a mean 13-year-old girl who doesn't know what the fuck she's doing. Yeah. And because she's never had to mature in these certain ways. So her meanness is more connected it to... Makes sense. Exactly, <laughs> to immaturity. And I think that works so much better than what how Gwyneth came off which to me comes off as like a haughty Regina George for no reason exactly like a haughty adult that like doesn't know her ups from her downs Mm -hmm. sort of and the way that it comes off here is it's like a it's almost like a a maturing a coming of age and an understanding that she is a person whose actions have consequences whereas with Emma 1996 Gwyneth Emma you walk in and she already feels like she knows the world a little bit you know what it is? Mm-hmm. Anya makes Emma more redeemable mm. because she's relatable. Mm. And we're like, we all were kind of a bitch when we were a 13-year-old girl, even though she's not 13. We all were kind of like a total mess. We were passive aggressive. We were like the worst when we were yeah. like, you know, trying to become mature, thinking we already were, were mature. Um, whereas like just being a mean girl it's like hard to picture that just changing yeah over time for not a lot of good reason like it, it's the difference between ignorance and snottiness yeah ignorance you can unlearn snottiness comes from knowledge that you are better so mm-hmm. I think that's that's why her Emma translates better for me yeah she also does this thing where every time she does something that she thinks like she has an unpleasant emotion like regret 
or embarrassment. You see it on her face mm-hmm. because Anya Taylor-Joy is just a brilliant actor. You see it on her face and then you see her shrug it off. Mm-hmm. So you see that she knows that she's done something and then she's like, Okay, but it's not totally left her eyes. She just is able to sort of shake it off and get back to her prim and proper self. Yeah, and not to pull us too forward in the story, but this comes off really, like, particularly when she's talking to Miss Bates because you can see her wanting to stop herself as she's going. She's like, (laughs) oh, shit. Yeah, and she, I think, like, in every scene up until Box Hillgate, you see her trying to find ways out of the conversation. Glitching out a little bit. Yeah, glitching out is exactly (laughs) correct. And in like a way that like little kids don't want to talk to like their great aunts Mm -hmm. sort of way. Like she's just like, oh God, I'm going to pretend like she's like a teenage girl with her phone. She's like, I'm just going to like be on my phone here and not listen to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One more thing and then we'll get back to it. Yeah. (laughs) Also having to do with Emma being a little bit more likable in this and her childlike behavior. It comes a lot also from Bill Nye's portrayal of her father because he's much less fragile than I think I read Mr. Woodhouse in the book. Like I read him as being not just a hypochondriac, but also almost too old. And Bill Nye is so sprightly for his age. (laughs) And he plays this relationship like he needs her to be his little girl not necessarily to be his caretaker but just to be there for him as his baby emotionally not physically yes yeah Um, and I think her taking on this like caretaking role is more of her wanting to feel needed and as like feel like an adult and less of like him wanting her to take care of him yeah yeah totally So that all stemmed from Emma's bare ass in the fire. (laughs) Ah! Um, Then we go to her beautiful dining room, which is all pinks and greens. And Mm -hmm. in our Discord, someone said, uh, Hartfield equals Barbie land. And then the little handshake emoji. I couldn't shake the Barbie comp when we were watching the movie. It's so candy coated in a 2020s way, which is great. Uh, I really like the aesthetic, but it takes it to a more heightened world and Mm -hmm. pulls it out of that quote, Austin realist sort of thing. Yes. Which I think is fine. It it makes it almost like Bridgerton in its design yes. aesthetics. I actually, I wanted to get this out of the way early on because this will probably span into two episodes and I don't <laughs> want to get too many messages about the costuming or the set being historically inaccurate. I don't, I mean, like, you can message us about it, but I don't care that it's historically inaccurate. I think it's beautiful. Oh, and I yeah. think that this is a piece of art and the costumes are very much just that costumes like they're not going for historically accurate so I didn't give two yeah absolutely not and I think that was kind of the point they really they want to portray the world Emma's world and Emma's world is this heightened world of extreme privilege Mm -hmm. and so it is over the top pink sort of bright colors she's the lady of the house exactly it reflects her i feel like i'm in emma's little dollhouse highbury mm-hmm. is her little dollhouse and she's playing with her little dolls and it makes for a movie where you feel like you are in this privileged world with emma we're not in a world where um there's incredible weird classism and craziness we're in this heightened little world of pretty romance and riches that emma lives in and because we're it, it almost does the unreliable narrative narrator trick that the book does to the movie because it just puts us in her place mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. her mind her experience of the world yeah um so emma tells her father that there's a new boarder at mrs goddard's harriet smith 
explains all about how she doesn't know who her parents are, blah, 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 blah. And then we get Harriet, who is wearing this, like, red cloak, which mm. all of the girls from Mrs. Goddard's <laughs> wear. It's so, I love them walking in a line like little ducks. They're little ducklings. But also they look like The Handmaid's Tale. They do. Yeah. They do. I don't think, I, I mean, okay, listen, because of the time this came out, it could not have been, like, nobody noticed they look like The Handmaid's Tale. I don't know why that was the choice. But I do love it as a motif that these little, like, duckling girls are just, like, wandering the film the entire time. In per- two perfect lines. You know what else they look like? Madeline. Yes. 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 Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. I'm glad we're all on the same page. Yeah. <laughs> so Harriet is played by Mia Goth. And I was wondering why they shaved her eyebrows off. Those are just her eyebrows. That's just yeah. how she looks. So... It works very well because it makes her look a lot younger than she is. Oh, my God. Yeah. She's actually older than me, which I was shocked to discover. She looks 16. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember we were watching the film and Molly literally turned to you and she was like, oh, my God, they did age appropriate casting for Harriet and Emma. And I was like, yeah, yeah, totally. Because I thought she was like 18 years old. She was like 27 when they she's, filmed that. Oh, yeah. I guess it was, yeah. it was a couple years ago. She's 29 now. And how old is Anya Taylor-Joy? She's like my age, right? Hey, Siri, how old is Anya Taylor-Joy? 27, so she's two years older than Anya. Wow, well, she played young very well. Mm-hmm. I was impressed. Um, I know that some people were torn on the casting for her. I thought she was brilliant for Harriet. I thought she was perfect, too. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was an incredibly book-accurate portrayal of Harriet, just, like, so sweet, so lost, so doe-eyed. Naive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I think the, eye- the lack of eyebrows gives her this, like, very, like, constantly in wonder of everything around her and shocked and surprised, but, yeah. like, excited totally. at everything. Yeah. yeah. I also, like, when I was looking at this movie, I was looking at the cast online, and I saw pictures of her, and I was like, I'm not sure about that cast for Harriet. Then I saw her in motion, and she just has this smile and these dimples <laughs> and this, this little, like, high-pitched voice where I was like, oh, God, I just want to, like, make you a bowl of matzo ball soup. I don't like... <laughs> You're such a Jewish grandma. Like I'm, I'm a Jewish grandma. Paint each other's nails and braid each other's hair. Yes, they exactly. really felt like kids, like yeah. playing together a lot of the time, which I loved. She comes over. She's drinking tea with Emma, and we see her like watching Emma drink her tea and trying to do it the same <laughs> way, which is perfect. And she starts to bring up Mr. Robert Martin, and Emma's like, "Quash that right away, and let's go see mm. Mrs. Weston." Robert um, so they go to Mrs. Weston's and Mr. Elton is already there and they're looking at an, a painting of Enscombe, which brings up Frank again. So he's still present. And Elton is being very obvious and flirting with Emma, which I just in the movie adaptations is just always so obvious. And I don't know how she doesn't catch on to it. Also, this Elton, I, there's a long tradition of Elton's in movies just being so simperingly disgusting from the get go. Right. Ah, oh, man. And this is the guy I've forgotten the name of the actor, but he plays Charles in The Crown. Yeah. And he's just so hateable. I love his casting for Elton because he's he's got like the face that is like objectively you look at him and you're like, that is a handsome face for a human to have. Mm-hmm. But there's something about him. And I think it's probably the way he carries himself. I'm sure in person he's like a gorgeous, handsome guy. And, you know, there, you can't find any flaws. But <laughs> he plays Elton in a way that you're like, Ew. Like, yes. I like I don't like the way that you're moving your mouth when you talk. Be I know that like objectively 
he looks handsome. So it's it's very interesting and weird and it works. You know, the vibe he was giving off was like that greetings female yeah. <laughs> sort <Malady>. of lady. <laughs> milady. That he's is giving milady. <laughs> <laughs> he give, he's giving fedora. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh yes. my god. Did you is... say fedora? I we were... said fedora while we were watching. <laughs> yeah. You and I are in the same wavelength, and mm-hmm. it's just so precise and so recognizable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so then Harriet and Emma leave and on their walk home Emma explains why she's never going to get married and the next day or whenever uh, they're in a ribbon shop and Harriet's trying to pick out which ribbon to buy when they see Miss Bates and Emma gasps like she's in a horror movie and then we get this like intense (laughs) Miss Bates theme come in and Miss Bates comes in and like chases her around the shop telling her that Jane wrote and Mr. Dixon saved her life and all this stuff. But she keeps getting distracted throughout the shop. And I was like, that's relatable content. She's like in the middle of a sentence. She's like, oh, where did I put my gloves? And then she goes to look for her gloves and Emma walks away. And she's like, they were with the, or no, the letter. She was missing the letter. And she's like, where did I put the letter? And she was like, they were with the gloves. Anyway, me. I don't know that Miranda Hart, that the actress, I don't know that she's ever been in another period drama. And I would have looked at her because she, she does or comedy is her whole thing. And I would not have necessarily have like been able to visualize her in a Jane Austen interpretation, but she freaking nailed it. She was hysterically funny. And Anya's subtle reactions to her make her even funnier. Mm-hmm. And I just, the two of them together are such an odd couple in their interactions. Mm-hmm. And it's done so perfectly. She's so triggering in the scene, <laughs> Emma, because I like, I felt like I was in high school and babbling to a popular girl who was like trying to get out of the conversation because because that's the vibe that was coming off here was like popular girl being like, I'm not talking to this loser right now. Mm -hmm. And it was so palpable and difficult to take. And it's like she clearly just like, like admires Emma so much. And she's trying to like, you know, just. She's overcompensating so much and it's so relatable. Yes. And then also at the same time, misplacing everything, which yeah. is yep. also so relatable. It's, yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. There's this one moment where she's talking about how Mr. Dixon saved Jane's life and she goes, to think that Jane may have perished. And Emma gets this look on her face where she just like kind of so subtly shrugs, <laughs> like, oh, wouldn't mind. And I screamed. If only. Another moment that I screamed. <laughs> then. Harriet and Emma are walking home and Harriet like squeals and is like, oh my God, it's Robert Martin. And <sighs> Emma walks straight past, doesn't even look at him. And Harriet like doesn't notice that she doesn't even acknowledge him at all. And she comes over to Emma afterwards and she's like, oh my God, what did you think of him? I'm like, Emma's not entitled to have an opinion after like <laughs> not even going over and saying hello. Also, she wants her approval so bad. <laughs> Shouts to Connor Swindles who plays Robert Martin Ugh. here. He's having a moment. The entire cast of Sex Education is having a moment. I, yes. Because yes. Yes. the girl, what's her name? Emma She was in the Barbie movie, too. Like mm-hmm. Connor Swindle was also in the Barbie movie. Yeah. Um, the the guy who plays Eric, whose name escapes me from Sex Education, he's also in the Barbie movie, and he's mm-hmm. going to be Doctor Who. And also, <gasps> the girl who plays Lily, whose name also escapes me, is in this movie as well, playing Mrs. Elton. Oh, right. Yes. 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 yes, 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 yes. Okay, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, She's in Sex Education too. Wow. Yeah, I know that whole cast. So if anybody hasn't watched Sex Education, Molly, um, Beautiful. you should certainly take a moment because it is just, if anything, just a cast of extremely talented young British people uh-huh. really like now dominating movie culture. Um, Connor Swindles is 
amazing in this as Mr. Martin. You just love his little cherub face. He's so yeah. sweet. So cute. <laughs> He's very sweet. Um, then Emma convinces Harriet that Mr. Elton is in love with her. And that plants the seed in her head. We cut to Emma and her collar. There's this like Marie Antoinette neck thing that she's wearing. Um, I, a lot of people in our chat hated it. I thought it was kind of fun. I loved it. Like it's a look. It's mm-hmm. camp. I wouldn't wear it, but right. But Emma would. <laughs> it's a movie. I totally would. <laughs> yeah. There you go. I'd wear that in a TikTok. Um. So she's wearing this collar, and Mr. Elton is admiring her paintings and saying, like, "Oh my God, you should paint Harriet." And Emma and Harriet are having this like, "Ooh, he likes you. He likes you." And she paints Harriet, and it's like, you know mediocre (laughs) and um, Mr. Elton is like this is the best thing I've ever seen and Mr. Knightley says you've made her too tall and it's that classic between the suck up and the bickering yeah yeah yeah. then we get a scene of Mr. Knightley and Mrs. Weston arguing about whether Harriet is a good friend for Emma and this is a scene that I don't think was in the last adaptation that we covered but that was in the book and that I thought was important because it like shows him like wanting Emma to be challenged by someone. And then Which we get- I think is so important to his love for her and his wanting to see her grow because he sees her as a person with so much potential and he sees, he knows she's a good person and he wants to see her at her best. Yeah, I agree. And then we get Knightley and Mr. Martin hanging out and I was a little bit confused as to what happened here because they were talking about um you must always buy in the off season did you guys did he buy his land because I know he was a tenant farmer I don't think he's buying the land off him in this moment I think he's um they're talking like financial investments and advice okay so I think Robert Martin is buying something I don't know that it's land from Mr. Knightley but he's asking Mr. Knightley for financial advice here and then he asked him for personal advice Mm, as well which means that you know they are bros and Mr. Knightley adores Mr. Martin and wants you know wants the best for his bro yeah yeah He he sees him as as an equal. Yeah. Or treats him as an equal. Yeah, I don't know that I would say that he sees him as an equal, but he certainly treats him with an immense amount of respect. Yeah. Uh, which I think is crucial to how dumb Emma's being about Robert Martin. Yes. He sees him as worthy. Yeah. Yeah. So he, of course, proposes to Harriet, and Harriet comes to Emma for advice. And what I loved about this is that In this scene in the book and also in the last adaptation of Emma that we watched, Emma very heavily leans on the, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I wouldn't marry him. And in this one, she just says the words must be your own and kind of like looks away. And Harriet says, you want me to refuse him. So like she kind of comes to that conclusion a little bit more on her own. And then Emma says, well, if you're in doubt, you should. But I'm not going to try to persuade you one way or the other. It just doesn't feel as much like she's pushing for her way. It's it's much more um, subtle, mm-hmm. the power over Harriet that she has here. Because in the in the 96 adaptation, you see Gwyneth Paltrow press her forehead into Tony Collette and be like, you're going to refuse him or accept but here it's more it is exactly how like quote unquote popular girls actually operate when mm-hmm. they want something it's oh no um you don't I didn't want. say that 
Exactly. I didn't say that. I never told you to refuse him. Yeah. Right. You you did that yourself. I don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. But in this way, like, she actually does like in the in the book the line is the refusal uh like it's it's your words how you how you're gonna refuse him like she Mm -hmm. just assumes out loud that she's gonna refuse him and in this one she doesn't do that and I just think that she's I mean I might be being too nice to her but I think she's just being a better friend to Harriet here um oh I think she's being worse oh I think she's being so much worse yeah (laughs) because in the because in the book it's more of like it's more of like well I'm assuming that you're going to refuse him because, like, logically you have to. But in this one, it's like, well, she's, like, torturing her with it mm. and then, like, dragging it out instead of just being honest and being like, I think you're too good for him. Mm. Yeah. I think I think it's um, subtly done but meanly done here. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely subtle. And I think that this Harriet is a little bit smarter than Harriet in the book. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, we'll get there in the final part of this movie, but she, like, can see right through what Emma's doing. Um, Eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Right now, she's like, I'm almost entirely made up my mind that I should refuse him. Um, Yeah, Maybe Anya Taylor-Joy is just hard for me to dislike. I mean, she's great in this. And also, like, it is subjective. Like, it is up for interpretation. I think that that's just how we both interpret it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Then Knightley and Emma have a fight about the fact that she convinced Harriet to uh, refuse Robert Martin. And they're, like, shouting over each other. And he says that Harriet's just a pretty face. And Emma's like, well, that's what men want. So, like, until they're in it for our minds, like, she might as well just be pretty. And... They walk past Mr. Woodhouse at one point, and he's just surrounded by screens, and neither of them <laughs> says anything. And it is the most perfect moment. It might be the best moment of the first half of the film. Yeah, it's yeah. so funny. It's so good. Um, and then Emma claims that she's done with matchmaking. The only reason she wants Harriet to refuse Robert Martin is because she wants to keep her for herself. Yay. Um, <laughs> and then we get... The final scene of Autumn, which is the reveal of the frame. Becca okay. just had to take off okay. her glasses. Okay, okay, okay. It's a hard um, watch. It really is. It's, it's very a hard watch. Cringy, cringy, it's, cringy. It's, it's, so, um, it's so exactly the type of thing that, like, a man gets for you that you don't want. Um, and it's, like, the idea that, like, he put so much on to getting this frame. And for, <laughs> for our listeners, to, I'd have, I can only describe as, like, the the Taj Mahal of picture frames. Mr. Elton comes and it's this whole like ordeal with poor Bartholomew and Charles maneuvering this giant frame. And then they open these two doors to reveal a painting, which is a mediocre like high school art students drawing. It doesn't look very good. It looks like a warm up for art. <laughs> exactly. And I just it for me, that was like the most excruciating moment of the film. And, it, and when you open it, it's a music box also. Oh, my God. So yeah. it plays a and little song. And you can song. see he's like he's like frothing at the mouth as he's like trying to get this like reaction from Emma and instead it's just Harriet being like lovely yeah and Emma's like you certainly spared no expense (laughs) through her teeth and that is the end of autumn which brings us to winter so we start with the introduction of John and Isabella which thank god I needed more John and Isabella in my life what does he say when he gets out of the 
carriage. He, says, he goes, that was incorrigible or something. He said, that was unendurable. Unendurable, yes. <laughs> unendurable. It was... <laughs> Because cause sometimes John and Isabella are cut from movie adaptations of Emma, which is just devastating. Mm-hmm. Um, but the moment he stepped out of the carriage and went, that was unendurable. I was like, if this is the only John Knightley I get for the entire film, I am sated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's perfect. They were like screaming the whole way. And Isabella is like so, um, she's just her, her father's daughter. And they just capture that so well here. She's like, husband, pull it together something like that. Um, Emma is holding the baby and she looks very uncomfortable Mm -hmm. as she's holding it. And we get this scene of her and Knightley making up over the baby, baby Emma. Oh, it's so sweet and soft though. They're little little close together convos. Yes. And they have a very intimate moment with the baby and then the baby farts and everything falls apart. (laughs) Because, Because people don't fart in the Regency era. So they didn't know what to do. I know. They just both, both Isabella and Mr. Woodhouse just like, send for Perry. <laughs> One of my favorite lines is uh, they say send for Perry. And then uh, John Knightley's like, do not send for Perry. And Isabella goes, send for Perry. And then John goes, as death follows life. Yes. <laughs> it's very um, Hugh Laurie in that one in Sense and Sensibility. Oh, yes. It's that not wanting to look up from the newspaper the whole time. Mr. Yeah. Palmer, yes. yes. Oh, that is one of my favorite Jane Austen performances yes. ever. And it's just like for maybe 10 minutes of the film, it's perfect. It's so good. <laughs> it really Yeah, good. it's definitely the same vibes. Then everyone leaves and Emma and Knightley crack up and we get to see them like actually hanging out and get a little bit of their banter. Um, and he gets up to go and she calls him back and he he steps back and they stand so close together. <laughs> Yes. But for no reason. <laughs> um, For me. They did yeah. it for me. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. why they did it. <laughs> totally. I Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah. Um, What does he say to her at that point? It's the lines from the actual book where they make up, and then she asks if um, right. Mr. Martin was very disappointed, and oh, then he says- Oh, a man could not be more so. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and it's he says it was so much feeling that Emma has to know how disappointed Mr. Martin was. And then she has to shake off that feeling because she's got work to do right. with Mr. Elton. Yes. Um, she goes to see Harriet, who is sick, and she says she's always sick on Christmas. And she's so sad that she's going to miss Mr. Elton's sermon because she always writes down his sermons in this little book. This was so sexy for no reason. <laughs> the thing with the book? Really? The, oh, the no. way Harriet was laying in the bed. Yeah, no, yeah. no, Harriet. Oh, oh. No, no. Her copying the sermons. No, no, not her. Well, kind of her copying the sermons. What I specifically mean was her describing how she copied the sermons. She like mm. bit her lips. She was sweating, and she like held the book in a certain way. And She's I was like feverish. Yeah, she did a little <laughs> giggle. She was like, <laughs> I was like, girly, girly. I've heard his sermons. They are not sexy. What's happening here? <laughs> yeah, it was a little weird. Yeah. Um. Well, it's it's very relatable because it's like she she is like making up this character of Mr. Elton in her head. Mm. and it's a character that doesn't actually exist doesn't quite match reality but she's infatuated and has this fantasy in her head oh man imagine very relatable Mm -hmm. imagine Mm -hmm. being infatuated with the dude who got the door opening picture (laughs) how embarrassing it is embarrassing and she (laughs) she only liked him because of emma so Emma agrees to transcribe his sermon for her, and then we cut to the party at Randall's. And I've been thinking this the whole time, but I, I'm just going to bring it up now. Mr. Weston is the hottest man in this film. Oh, my God. Okay, we need to talk about this because 
I don't know if you noticed this, but he is so hot. And we didn't talk about it until this scene where we were both like, we were like, wait a minute. Is he daddy? Is he daddy? <laughs> I did not have that same reaction, <laughs> but I totally can see why you might. Okay, listen, we, we love a supportive man. Yeah. He's so sweet. He's such a good husband. And mm-hmm. also, like, silver fox territory. Like, those he's, big... Um, he plays a cop in Sherlock, and he's hot as the cop in Sherlock. So I can see how that would translate. I was just so, looking him up to see what else he's... The actor done. is handsome. What's his name? Um... Rupert Graves. Oh, yeah. Everyone. Oh, my God. He's so hot. He's... Show me a picture. Show me what you're looking at okay, right now. Um, This one. I mean, I guess. <laughs> Listen, we. I we, respect. I, yeah. We okay. on Pot and Prejudice respect all opinions yes. here. Um, we both had the immediate instinct of thinking this man was like extremely sexually attractive. <laughs> all right. But we also. Well, not we. I also thought that Mr. Bennett was sexy. I mean, yeah, Daddy no. Bennett. Yeah. Lest you actually have respect for Molly's opinion on this, um, sh- this was like book Mr. Bennett that she had yeah. a crush on, like in, okay, okay, in the okay. actual book, <laughs> not yeah, Donald yeah. Sutherland. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> well, I, but I did also think that the 1995 Mr. Bennett was cute, but he's um, not as cute as Rupert Graves. Rupert Graves is very handsome. Um. Anyway, we could really spiral about anyway. this. Um, oh, he was he was a circus clown out of school. <laughs> wow. You do, you do, you you're drawn to some strange dude. Yeah, well, we've already established that. A circus clown. Anyway, Mr. Weston, Daddy, Daddy Weston. So we learn that Frank is not coming to this party, and Emma goes to a room by herself to read his letter, and Knightley follows her, mm-hmm. and they fight about Frank. They really fight dark, a lot in a dark room. Yeah, this is one of the darkest scenes in the movie. <laughs> there, the movie's very bright. At dinner, Elton keeps like looking at Emma and she starts to notice him looking at her and she's like, uh, and she doesn't like that. Um, and everyone starts talking shit about Mrs. Churchill and Elton's like trying to contribute to the conversation and he's like, oh, what seasonable weather we're having? We might get snow tonight. And <laughs> the immediate panics. panic. It's so good. It's so sudden and so good. And they're in the middle of dinner. Poor they Weston's. clear out so fast. It's impressive. Yeah. I, it's just the moment that both Isabel, it's like you could hear a pin drop. It's like they flipped the table. Exactly. Yeah. It's like someone dropped a baby. I mean, it's <laughs> yeah. like. Yeah. It's like a baby farted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So they all like run out. Um, we see John say, well, fortunately, we have more than one carriage. So if one is blown over by the wind <laughs> and um, he's just like not having it. He's not surprised either. No, he's he... like, oh, OK, we're leaving. Yeah. I feel so bad for the Westons, though, because it's like the middle of dinner. And Mr. Weston says, I guess it's a good thing that Frank didn't come to Christmas. Yeah. Then Elton gets in the carriage with Emma and we get our terrible proposal scene. He like unties his cloak before he does it oh my god my knees are like going numb about it. <laughs> it's very gross we see like the dawning on emma's face of oh shit he never liked me he liked harriet and she's like her eyes are darting back and forth and i almost felt bad for him because she was pretty harsh in her refusal but then he's like driver stop the carriage and she's like mr elton and he goes he just like throws a temper tantrum and he's like driver stop the and he's like stomping on the floor. This is actually, I loved this scene. Not, I didn't love the scene. It's never a pleasant scene when Mr. Elton is refused, but 
I think this scene actually captures what it's like when you abuse a man like Mr. Mm-hmm. Elton. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because it's all that cheesy greetings, my lady, for mm-hmm. a little while, and then suddenly it's anger and it's scary, and that is I've never seen an Elton scene that's scary before, and. I appreciated it yeah. so hard. Yeah, and, these men are dangerous. Yeah, and he the way he slams his fist on the roof of the carriage, it's unbearable. Yeah. Ugh. And it's it's such a common experience that I can't think of another time I've like witnessed it portrayed on television or a movie where I like watched it and I was like, oh yeah, like that's what yeah, that's totally what it looks like and feels like. Mm-hmm. And then it's like kind of like shocking to realize that like oh I don't think that this has ever been really portrayed before so accurately right oh yeah it's, oh yeah this is normal like this is what happens yep. it shouldn't be but it is yeah absolutely it's it's also so specific like everyone's been in that carriage mm-hmm. every yeah yeah everyone who's been hit on by a straight man has been in that carriage mm-hmm. yeah and you yeah. can't escape and you yep. can't get out and you're like yep 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 yeah. and that's the the good news is nowadays uh the carriage hitting can sometimes be over phone and in those circumstances that's when you block him mm-hmm. yeah yeah so emma goes to tell harriet and she walks in on the goddard ladies playing this game which i googled um they have flour in a sandcastle mold that they put upside down and then they put a coin on top and they take turns cutting the flour and the last person to cut the flour before the coin topples has to stick their face in and pick it up with their mouth um, without laughing so they don't get any flour up their nose. It's called bullet pudding. Bullet pudding. Why? There's no bullets and there's no pudding. I think it started with a bullet instead of a coin and the they're using a pudding mold. I mean, I guess they didn't have sandcastle molds back then, so it's a pudding mold with the flour in it. So bullet pudding. I also love this because this is adaptation is the only adaptation of Emma I have seen that actually takes the time for to show you Harriet at Mrs. Goddard's and what that world is like. And I think what it does is not only gives you this warm, enriching picture of how Harriet lives, but it also really contrasts Harriet's life with Emma's life because mm-hmm. Emma lives in this really bright, wealthy manner alone with her father and with grim Mr. Knightley. And then you have... Harriet, who's in this world of little girls and like silly games and sort of humble loveliness that tells you that Emma has no idea what's going on in her friend's life. Yeah. And it shows that Harriet's perfectly happy and doesn't really like need to be saved. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because she has friends and they seem to all appreciate and love her. Um, but Emma still is like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe you're living like this. Ugh. I know. She, like, looks scandalized. Playing game. Then Emma tells her that Elton never loved her. And Harriet is like, I don't blame you. But then she tries to burn the painting. And Emma's like, well, don't burn the painting. Like, you can burn the frame, but keep the painting. And Harriet doesn't seem to want to keep the painting because <laughs> it's not, I mean, yeah. good. Um, and Emma's like, well, I'll keep the painting. She wants to keep it for a painting of her friend. And they have a sweet little moment there. Yeah. And then Isabella leaves and Mr. Woodhouse looks a little bit sad. And Emma's like, what's wrong? And he's like, you must promise you will never leave me, Emma. And yeah. you're like, eee. <laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> yeah. It's very sad because it's this moment. Like, that's the thing about Emma as a character. Because, I mean, the book opens with a line about how little hardship Emma has faced in her life. 
but she is stuck in Highbury. It's the reason she like makes everyone around her her little playthings because her world's very small and her world, whole world is just Highbury and the people there because of her father. It's, you know, it's... Well, it, little moments like that too is like you see why Knightley loves her mm. and like you see what he sees in her yeah. in those little moments and you're like not so shocked that he like seems to love like this childish immature yeah kind of mean girl yeah it's like oh this is what this is what he sees and the potential he sees yeah so that brings us to the end of winter which will also bring us to the end of this episode of pot and prejudice yeah thank you so much for joining thank us thank you for having me i'm yeah. having a blast yay so before we go do you want to just plug some social media yeah, I'm doing mostly Instagram stuff right now, but I'm hoping I'm almost done furnishing my apartment and I can get back to doing some video content. But on all platforms, including Pinterest, I am Chateau Barefoot, um, which Chateau is French, so it's spelled a little funky, but <laughs> Chateau Barefoot on all platforms. And I have link trees that lead to everything else in my bio. Perfect. Perfect. I have to say that when I think of your handle, my where I imagine that it comes from, which uh -huh. is probably not accurate, is that well, Chateau means castle, and Barefoot is a brand of wine. So I assume that it's for Barefoot wine, and you're a castle of Barefoot wine. Okay, <laughs> you just got so close. Oh my and god! Typically, people don't understand it. It was an inside joke I made with myself because I was living alone. I'm just going to give you the lore yeah, real quick. Do. I was living by myself, getting my master's degree in psychology at peak COVID in 2020, 2021, going a little insane, and my little treat when I would venture out all masked up to the grocery store as I could get like a $5 bottle of wine. I've always wanted to live in a French chateau and they're typically named after the wine that they create. And so oh I was like, well, your girl's on a budget. So if I had a chateau right now, it'd be Chateau that's Barefoot. It, that's exactly yeah, it. she got it. She got it. You nailed it. Wow. You're the second person ever oh to like God. make the connection to wine. Quite. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Season three is just you nailing every prediction. Honestly, I knew that Frank and Jane, there was something going on there. What else did I guess? Oh, you guessed that Harriet was going to return from London Mary. Oh, yeah, I yeah. did. I did. Yeah. I did. Anyway. Anyway, uh, that's that. And we will be <laughs> back in two weeks with the rest of this movie. And until next time, stay proper. And find yourself a boy who's bare ass look like Johnny Flynn's. Yeah. <laughs> or a girl whose bare ass looks like Anya Taylor-Joyce. Yeah. Oof. Oof. Keep it warm. Yeah. Pod and Prejudice is edited by Molly Burdick and audio produced by Graham Cook. Our show art is designed by Torrance Brown. Our show is transcribed by Speech Docs Podcast Transcription. For transcripts and to learn more about our team, check out our website at podandprejudice.com. To keep up with the show, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Pod and Prejudice. If you love what you hear, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash podandprejudice to see how you can support us, or just drop us a rating and a review wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening.